Good morning, church. Coming to you today from Salt Vero. Now, Salt Vero is an organization where you can come and receive halo therapy. Halo therapy. Halo, halo is actually the root word comes from the Greek word for salt. And it's salt therapy. So these rooms are designed to mimic salt caves. They're covered floor to ceiling with pure Himalayan salt. So you come in here for a session and you breathe the microscopic salt particles into your lungs and it's beneficial for all of your innards. And then the ones you don't breathe in, they settle on your skin and that's great for your skin. So I'm not a doctor, so I can't make a medical recommendation to you, but I'll tell you this, Scott back there and I are feeling fantastic and awful salty. And I thought this was a good environment for our text this morning. That comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now we're going to get our halos on today. Now, not, not this kind of halo, but the salt kind of halo. We're going to have some spiritual salt therapy as we talk about being the salt of the earth. As you recall, we're in a sermon series entitled Obey Everything Taken from the Great Commission, where Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. So we've been in a sermon series where we're looking at the commands of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And we've started with the Sermon on the Mount. Most of the commands of Jesus in the Gospel are on, or in rather, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we just spent eight weeks with the Beatitudes that comes at the beginning of that sermon. And now we're moving on to this idea of being the salt of the earth. What on earth does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Well, it kind of depends upon your definition of how Jesus is using that metaphor. Now, I've done my due diligence and my study. Most of the commentaries and the sermons on this passage will take some aspect or attribute of salt and make an application for that. For instance, we know that salt is used as a preservative. It was in ancient times, still is today. And so it's suggested that, that we Christians should preserve the earth. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but to be a preservative for the earth. Salt is used as a seasoning, and so we are to add zest to the earth, and I'm all for that. But is that what Jesus meant when he said you are to be the salt of the earth? That's the question. I will tell you that the, the definition that I like the best is the one that was given by the late Roger Chambers, and he gave this definition. Now, it's a little bit wordy, but hang with me. He said, salt as Jesus used it, is that which, upon first taste, makes one go patui. There's actually a Greek word called patuo, which is an onomatopoeia word. The, the sound of it suggests the meaning. And patuo in Greek means to spit. So he says, salt is that which, upon first taste, makes one go patui. But upon wise reflection, we realize that it is necessary. 
necessary for salvation, necessary for all kinds of things. Now, let me spend a minute or two here on the context, because the reason that I, I prefer that definition of the metaphor is that it seems to fit the context of what Jesus is teaching in the Beatitudes and on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. This was the central theme of Jesus' preaching was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. Also, John the Baptist, his predecessor, was preaching the kingdom of God. But the kingdom that Jesus offered was not the kingdom that the Jews and the nation of Israel in his time was expecting or wanted. There was a national expectation of the coming kingdom of God amongst the nation of Israel. Remember, Israel is an occupied nation by the Romans. They've been conquered by the Romans. They've been conquered by the Greeks. They've been conquered by the Persians. They've been conquered by everybody. And so they were waiting for their Messiah to come. And their understanding was that when Messiah came, he would expel the Romans from the land of Palestine, set up a Jewish world empire ruling from Jerusalem. They were sons and daughters of Abraham, and they were going to rule. But that's not what Jesus offered. I mean, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is talking about the characteristics and the virtues and the qualities of a kingdom man and a kingdom woman. And what did he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are you who are persecuted. And the Jews initially went patooey. That's not what we want. That's not what we're looking for. We want to rule. We don't want to serve. And if you'll recall, John the Baptist warned the Jews of his time, don't say to me, we are sons of Abraham, as if that makes you safe. He said, God is able to raise up out of these stones, sons of Abraham. So the kingdom was not about race. The kingdom was about grace. So Jesus is offering us a different kind of kingdom, one of service and grace and humility. So let's talk today uh, of some basic applications of that principle. Salt is that which makes us initially go patooey, but upon wise reflection we realize it is necessary. There are different kinds of salt. There's sea salt, there's, there's table salt. I want to talk about four kinds of salt today as we make an application here. Uh, first of all, there is self-salt. Self-salt. Now let me pull in a parallel passage to the one in Matthew chapter 5. Now, the parallel, a parallel passage would be one from the parallel Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all parallel Gospels. And in Mark chapter 9 verse 50, Jesus says, have salt in yourselves. Right? That's why I call this salt self. Have salt in yourself. And the context of what's happening here in Mark chapter 9, when Jesus said, have salt in yourself, is Jesus has come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And immediately he finds that his disciples are failing to cast a demon out of a boy. And the problem seems to be their lack of a strong prayer life. And then, this is all in chapter 9, and then after that the disciples begin arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. Who's going to be Mr. Big Man? 
And then the disciples are expressing jealousy because there's a guy over there who's casting demons out, but he's not one of their party. And then Jesus begins to teach them, and he says, you've got to be ruthless about the sin in your life. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Be ruthless with sin. And that's when he comes with this passage about salt. And he says, everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So in other words, stop arguing with each other. Be at peace. Get some humility. Crucify that pride. Have some maturity. And so when I say, you know, self-salt here, I, I think the lesson is we and ourselves need to have some maturity. We need to have some spiritual maturity. We need to grow up as Christians, crucify our pride. And the path to spiritual maturity is through what's called the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines. I know the Holy Spirit works in us, the ministry of sanctification to help us become more and more like Christ, but he uses as tools what are called the spiritual disciplines. I mean, were, were you ever in the military? Then you had discipline and drills to run. Did you ever go out for a sports team? You, you had to run sprints or suicide drills. Or how about this? Uh, anybody ever do this drill when they, are in, when they were in high school? See if you can tell what I'm doing. F-R-F space, J-U-J space, F-R-F space, J-U-J space, F-R-F space, over and over. What is that? That's typing class. And all eight fingers and the two thumbs all have drills, multiple drills that you, you would do over and over and over. What a drudgery. It makes you go patooey. But in time, over with wise reflection, we begin to realize that it was necessary because you turn a corner at some point where you no longer consciously have to think about what you're doing with your fingers. You can look at a script and it almost magically through muscle memory is transcribed from your brain through your fingers onto that keyboard and onto the computer screen. Likewise, the spiritual disciplines may seem like a bit of a drudgery at first. I mean, when you st first start to pray every morning and have a, a time of Bible reading and prayer, do you always want to do that, get up and do that first thing? Probably not. Do you always want to go to church on Sunday? Maybe not. Always want to have communion? Always want to serve? Always want to give a significant portion of your income? Always want to study? Always want to practice solitude or maybe fast? Those things might be hard to do at first, but upon wise reflection, we realize they are necessary for us to have salt in ourselves and be mature. We cannot bring a salty message out to the world if we ourselves do not have some salt, some maturity that comes through the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines. Okay, so self-salt. Now here's the second application I want to make. I'm going to call this family salt family salt. Now for this, I'm going to reach back to the Old Testament and bring in an Old Testament verse about salt. Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 16.4, on the day you were born, and this is God speaking to the nation of Israel as if they are a child, on the day you were born, you were never washed, rubbed with salt, and wrapped in a cloth. Now what is he talking about there? He says rubbed with salt. 
He's talking about an ancient Middle Eastern practice, actually still practiced in some cultures, where they would take their infant newborn and rub them down with salt. Now, we don't know all the reasons they, they did that. There seem to be some allusions in ancient texts that, number one, it was to toughen the baby's skin, and number two, a symbolic prevention of corruption, you know, because salt prevents corruption. So, I want to make an application here about parenting. Now, uh, parents, if, if ladies, if, if you are expecting a newborn, check with your pediatrician before you salt down your baby, your newborn baby. I want to use it as a metaphor. And that is, we want to bring some salt into our families and into our parenting. And just as in ourselves, that means spiritual discipline in our families, that may mean physical discipline, setting rules and setting boundaries. I've talked with many people in my age and my generation, and we all kind of agree that the next generation of Christians, you guys coming up, are going to need to be saltier, probably a little bit tougher than we have had to be in our generation because of the way things are going with the culture. So we want to raise some salty children and set some boundaries. Now, they're not always going to want discipline, and you know that. In fact, uh, the Hebrew writer says, Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. In other words, patooey. But afterward, upon wise reflection, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Actually, all children need and want discipline in their lives, whether they know that on a conscious level or not. An analogy I like to use to illustrate this, I, I've used it before, but some of you may not have heard this, is suppose you are a space traveler and you're, you're out in your little spaceship when all of a sudden you crash land on an alien planet and you sense, you just know, that you are the weakest, most vulnerable being on this planet. All the other creatures out there that live out there are bigger and they're stronger and they're threatening. And the only thing that saves you is you happen to have crash landed in the middle of a field that is surrounded by a tall, strong fence. And that fence is what stands between you and whatever else is out there on the planet. So what would you do in that situation? Well, from time to time, you would walk the perimeter of that fence and you would test it. You'd test that. You'd push against it. And you don't want that fence to yield. Because if it yields to you, and you're the weakest thing on the planet, and you can push it over, then you've lost, really, your sense of security. Well, I mean, you can see the analogy. You see where I'm going with this. A child is born into this world and before long realizes, that the boy or the girl realizes that he or she is the weakest, most vulnerable thing in this planet. Everybody else is bigger, everybody else looks stronger, and a lot look intimidating and threatening. And what is it that stands between him and what's out there? It's you, mom. It's you, dad. Or grandparents. Sometimes grandparents are raising or helping to raise their children. And so you're the fence. And that's why every child, from time to time, and sometimes more often, then from time to time. Every child is going to test that fence. They're going to push. They're going to push you and test you. 
And deep down inside, they don't want to win. Whether they consciously know this or not, they want you to be stronger than they are. Because if their will is stronger than your will, and you're their fence, and they can prevail over you, then they have lost a very important sense of security in their lives. They want you on that wall. They need you on that wall. Now, so I know you, most of you know this, but I just want to affirm you in your parenting. That's why you're there. One of the main reasons is to provide structure, boundaries, and discipline. Bring salt into that parenting and into that family. Okay, now, uh, we've, we've talked about self-salt, family salt. Here's a third application. I'm going to make four, and the third one is church salt. Church salt. Back to a parallel passage, and we started in Matthew. We went to the parallel passage in Mark. Now the parallel passage on salt in Luke is in Luke chapter 14. Jesus said, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. What's happening in the context of Luke 14? It's a very popular time in Jesus' public ministry. Crowds are following him. And so in this chapter, Jesus begins sifting out the crowds to see who really wants to be a disciple and a follower. And there are three very challenging statements, for instance, in this chapter. Let me put them before you. In verse 26, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now that, that's pretty challenging. That's hardcore. You recognize that this is hyperbole. He doesn't want us to hate our family. But it ever, if it ever came to a choice, our relationship with Jesus, Jesus has to be number one. And some people have had to make that kind of a choice. And then a, a second challenge he gave in verse 27. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, people in that day, they knew what crosses were all about. It was, it was more than just a piece of jewelry. The cross represented suffering. And so this sifted some people. I'm out of here. This, you're talking about crosses? And then Jesus gives two examples about counting the cost. About the man, if you're about to build a tower, you better sit down and count the cost and make sure you have enough money to complete it. And then if you're a king who's about to go to war, you better look at your army and then your opponent's army and, and count the cost and see if you can win that war. And then finally, he says in verse 33, and those of you who do not give up everything, everything you have cannot be my disciple. Sifting, sifting, sifting. I call this church salt. And what I mean by that is that church, as a church, we have to have some grit in us. You remember the movie True Grit? Did you see that? Either the old John Wayne version or the newer version. The little girl wants to go after the, the guy who killed her father. And so she's looking for a marshal who has true grit, who's tough. In, in most times in history and in most places around the world, Christians have had to pay a price, to pay a price, to be a disciple of Jesus and a part of God's church. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. And that is not bait and switch because Jesus is totally upfront about all of this. But he's saying, we as a church have to count the cost of discipleship and be a tough and salty church. Wang Ming Dao was the preacher of the 
largest church in Peking, China. And what that got him was thrown in prison. You know, the communists in China persecute the church. And in prison there, like probably everywhere, no cakewalk. He was suffered. He was tortured in prison. And finally, he'd had enough, and they offered him a deal. They said, look, if you recant your confession in Christ, we'll let you go. And the poor guy had suffered so much, he took the deal. He said, all right, I recant. And he denied Christ, and they let him out. He said that he hadn't been on, back on the streets of Peking for three weeks before he felt like Judas. And so he went back. He went back to the communist headquarters, and he said, I recant my recantation, if that's a word. He said, I confess Christ is Lord. And if that means I have to go back to prison, then I have to go back to prison. And they said, we're happy to oblige. And he went to prison for 27 years. That's a salty preacher of a salty church. Church salt means being tough, counting the cost, paying the price of discipleship. And then finally, let's finish up with earth salt. After all, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And let me pull in something that the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 4. He said, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The ministry of salt to the world is the ministry of truth and repentance. There is sweetness in the gospel message, and there is salt. And the ministry of salt in our message to the world is not always going to be well-received. Oftentimes, it will make people go patooey at first. But upon wise reflection, they may realize, at least some, that it is necessary, necessary for salvation. Hey, last January, uh, we had the Stand for Life on a, on a Sunday in January, where church types in Vero Beach and really all over the country went out and, and stood up with pro-life signs and messages. And, and there was a bunch of us who were out on State Road 60 in Vero Beach. And I remember I was standing beside Chris Morris. And we were out there holding our signs. And I said, you know, Chris, the last time we did this, we got cussed. And Chris said, really? I can't. That's hard to believe. Well, sure enough, it wasn't five minutes later before a pickup truck drove by with their windows down. And and cussed us, threw out some F-bombs, and then he used his finger to show us how many friends he had had before his dog died, if you know what I mean. And I looked at Chris and I said, see there? But you know what? That didn't hurt us. In fact, in a way, it felt kind of right. You know, at one point Jesus said, Woe are you when all men speak well of you. So if you ever get a little bit of pushback in life, it helps to get the woe off your back. I mean, the time has passed, if it ever really existed, when the culture was so much like the church that the church never made the culture upset or mad. That time is over. Jesus was the perfect man. He was a great preacher and a communicator. He was full of love and meekness and tact, but even Jesus could not tell the truth so tactfully 
that no one ever got upset with him. And the world needs to hear not only about forgiveness and grace, but also about repentance. Jesus said, I love you, but he also said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The ruler Xerxes in the fourth century BC was to, about to invade Europe. And as he approached the Hellespont, the place of transition from Asia into Europe, he called to him a friend of his named Demaratus. Demaratus was a Greek, and Xerxes trusted him. And Xerxes had a huge army, one of the largest that history has known, between 70,000 and 300,000 men. And Greece had an army of about 7,000. And so Xerxes asked Demaratus, he said, will the Greeks dare to stand up against me? In other words, are the Greeks going to put up a fight? Now, back in that day, they sometimes killed the messenger if they didn't like the message. And so Demartus answered Xerxes' question with a question. He said, my Lord, it is, is it an agreeable answer you desire or a true one? Because he knew that an agreeable answer might please Xerxes, but a true one might save Xerxes. Now, the world is getting many agreeable answers. There are all kinds of people that will tell the world, there's no such thing as sin, you're fine, nothing you are doing is wrong. Where is the world going to get a true answer? Are they going to get that from cable news? Are they going to get a true answer from the internet? Are they going to get a true answer from Hollywood or from the culture? They're going to get a true answer from God, from Jesus, from the Bible, from a salty Christian, salty Christian family, salty church. The world has heard enough agreeable answers. The world needs to hear a true one. Now, it may initially respond patui, but on the other hand, may run into heaven, and someone in heaven someday who says, thank you for loving me enough to make me mad by telling me the truth, because now I'm here in heaven and I'm saved. Please pass the salt.